Good morning, and we are back. Uh, we have now completed our study in Isaiah, and we are moving forward. And we're looking at a study in Proverbs. Uh, I talked to a few in the class. They had said that Proverbs hadn't been uh, studied as a book. So, our book is entitled, Walking Wisely in a Foolish World. And Lesson 1 is talking about the priority for living. So I have a couple questions to uh, think about. And the first question is, why might people want to avoid the question of their priorities? Um, I think some people, uh, when we talk about uh, their priorities, is that uh, they may not want to be involved in thinking about um, what it is that makes them tick, uh, what it is that they really drives them. But you know, we, we live in a, a pretty fast-paced society. And that emphasis on priorities is not new. Um, you know, we have seen issues of priorities. We'll look back and see that it, it goes clear back to the Bible days. But, you know, there are demands on us on a daily basis for our time, our energy, and our money. And so... It's essential that we evaluate and establish one's priorities. Now, a second question you might think about as we get into this um, lesson is, do you think that some people use busyness as a shield protect them from considering their priorities. You know, and I think that's part also is that we don't want to make a priority. We don't want to consider our priorities. So we just let life just be super busy and, you know, someday else we'll think about it, but not today. Well, today we are going to think about it, and we'll be back as we search through the scriptures um, further into our priorities. So, we will see you in just a moment. So, we've established that there are a need for priorities, and I think... We could also establish that there is a consequence for failure to establish personal priorities, and that failure is crippling. You know, many people live in this world today uh, in this atmosphere of competing priorities, and that demand creates uh, an atmosphere of frustration and. If you can't eliminate that competition of competing priorities, you're going to experience burnout. 
Other people live in a life of chaos of confused priorities. They can't seem to make decisions or choices, and their circumstances control them. Uh, bewilderment and depression often characterize those individuals. And that then there's a third group of individuals who live with constantly changing priorities. Uh, some people call themselves conditional priorities. Now they're well-meaning uh, individuals and they understand the need to set a priority, but they, they can't stick with it. Um, because as their circumstances change, their priorities change. And so then they experience instability and at least a sense of defeat. The writer of the book of Proverbs had his priorities straight. And Bible scholars will tell us that Solomon is the writer of the book of Proverbs. But his success did not come without a struggle. He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And that reveals the struggle and explains how he came to understand man's he came to understand man's ultimate priority he wrote ecclesiastes as a narrative and he rehearsed his philosophical journey reiterating reiterating i get the right word there the fact that one's understanding of the purposes of life influences priorities So if we go to the first chapter in Ecclesiastes, yes, folks, I know that this is a book on, or a study on the book of Proverbs, but we've got to understand the writer's intentions. And so if we go to the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, uh, we will examine several very strong humanistic approaches to life. And... Uh, and the first one is in verses 12 to 18, establishes wisdom as the challenging purpose for living. That's in chapter 1, 12 to 18. When wisdom is the major purpose for living, acquisition of an education becomes top priority. If education is the single priority that gives meaning to existence, it's out of place. Um, so let's look at that together. I've got my Bible and I'll get it opened up here to um, Ecclesiastes 1, 12 to 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I have set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that's been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. 
And I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all over, who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to show wisdom and to show madness and folly. And I realized that this is also striving after the wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. I think we find that Ecclesiastes here, the writer, concludes that the pursuit of education and wisdom is ultimately disappointing and a burdensome task. Uh, he said that pursuing wisdom is like chasing the wind, and we here in western Kansas do understand about the wind. So. Solomon, as the writer, decides further pleasure, not further pleasure, he decides further that pleasure is a worthy purpose for living. And so we see that in the very next chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I'll read that. And I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself, and be told it too was futility. I said of laughter, It is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? And I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works, I built for myself houses, I planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks for myself, I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, and I made ponds of water for myself, which, from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves, and I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I also collected for myself gold and silver and the treasure of kings and provinces, and I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all that had preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom uh, stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was the reward of my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor had exerted. Behold, all was vanity. Striving after the wind, there was no profit under the sun. So we see Solomon conclude that the pursuit of education and wisdom is disappointing. We've seen him talk about his search after pleasure, the indulgence of his appetites with appetites for amusement and entertainment leading the effort. He gave himself to laughter and wine, and he discovered that these indulgences left him empty and sad when he reached for things. You know, he thought that the ownership of goods would bring him pleasure. And when the novelty wore off, the sense of emptiness and sadness returned. 
he thus he wrote in the very last verse he talked about that these things were chasing after the wind and were vanity so what would you think would be an advantage of searching after pleasure as a purpose for living um, yeah you know, I, I think of those people when I was in college that said you know eat drink today for tomorrow you may die you know they lived with pleasure as their goal and their goal was just for today and uh, I think that also indicates the consequences of having pleasure as a priority I think we find that pleasure is fleeting and it may entertain and it may satisfy for a moment but the laughter soon wears thin and possessions that seem so attractive after you get them they lose their appeal and Solomon doesn't stop there he considers a third purpose for living he suggested that um, wealth is worthy of consideration and we see that in in uh, 18 through 23 of chapter 2 and let me read that here thus I hated all the fruit of my labor which I had labored under the Sun for I must leave it to the man who will come after me and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool yet he will have control over the fruit of my labor which I have labored by acting wisely under the Sun this too is vanity therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor which I had labored under the Sun for where when there is a man who has labored with wisdom knowledge and skill and then gives his uh, legacy to one who has not labored for them this too is vanity and great evil for what does a man get for all his labor and his striving for which his labors under the Sun because his days his tasks are as painful and grievous and even at night his mind does not rest this too is vanity so pursuit of pleasure reflects the priorities of indulgence the pursuit of wealth produces an addiction to work as Solomon said but work can be enslaving he said at the right at the beginning he said I hated all my work which I had done because I leave it to a man who comes after me Solomon anticipated the end of life and the labor and he was stricken with the thought that everything he had accumulated would be left to someone else to enjoy and spend he saw that prospect as rather unattractive also so we realize that humanistic or worldly definitions of the purposes of living are defective and deficient and if you look with me to verses 22 and 23 the last ones that I read of chapter uh, 2 here for what does a man get for all his labors and his striving which he labors under the Sun because his tasks his days his task is painful and grievous and at night his mind does not rest this too is vanity um, he the priorities one assigns leaves empty and fulfilled So if humanistic 
searches after the world that it is not found in wealth it's not found in pleasure and it's not found in uh, possessions then Solomon the wisest man in the world the one who had everything going for him summarizes it and he comes up with a biblical purpose for life and what we're going to jump to is Ecclesiastes 12 and we're going to go there and read verse 1. Ecclesiastes 12, 1. Remember also your creators in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in them. Remember your creator. Solomon warns his readers, those who follow after him, about squandering and dissipating their lives by pursuing things that can never satisfy. According to Solomon, the only commitment to the glorified God brings meaning and purpose for existence. Now, we're going to look to a New Testament verse, and I'm going to get that drawn up here in my Bible, and we'll be right back. So, why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10.31, and we'll go there here, and be right back. Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So I guess the question is, have you glorified God by doing such mundane activities as eating or drinking? Might be worth thinking about. Understanding the purpose of existence for Solomon's first step for glorifying God. He took this step while he was young. He said in his early years, were marked by obedience to God. While his purpose was to glorify God, he exercised God's gifts of wisdom. And God blessed him with the material things that he might have set his heart on. But God expanded the borders of Solomon's kingdom and enabled him to become so rich that silver was as common as paving stones. If you want to check that out? Go to 1 Kings 10.27. In addition, God allowed him to enjoy the pleasures of life. An individual's purpose for living affects his priorities. If your purpose is wisdom, his priority is going to be education. If his purpose is pleasure, his priorities will be in indulgence and gratification. If the purpose is wealth, his work will be a carrot and the stick. But if our purpose is living biblically rather than humanistically, we will commit ourselves to the principle of glorifying God. This commitment will influence our priorities. They will be biblical. And if you go back to Ecclesiastes 12, 13, we'll see that uh, get it turned here. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Solomon had a couple goals 
Ultimate priority is the person who commits himself to the glory of God. 12.13 The conclusion, then when all has been heard, is Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. So what's the connection between fearing God and keeping his commandments? I think that's the end of the discussion. He said, after considering everything, he had weighed it, he'd come to a solid biblical conclusion. He said, this ends it. This ends the discussion. And he drew um, what he came to resolve was was totally priceless and relevant. We glorify God by worshiping Him and obeying Him. Let's uh, look at some other people who have priorities. Um, Genesis 2 and 3 provide the biography of Adam. Adam's purpose was to glorify God. And uh, that in the support of that purpose, he committed himself to two priorities. One, to meet with God in the evening of each day, which would be worship, and to care for the garden, which was obedience. So when God placed Adam into the garden, he gave him two simple commands. One, care for the garden, and two, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam's obedience to God was flowing from the worship he enjoyed each evening. The commands were not burdensome. His fellowship with God was influence his obedience. Yes, Adam eventually failed. Satan challenged his purpose for existence and convinced Adam and Eve both that they could be like God. Once Adam and Eve's purpose for living shifted from glorifying God to glorifying themselves, the priorities changed. Selfishness replaced worship and gratification replaced obedience. Um, so God reached down in grace to Adam and Eve. When that occurred in, in those chapters, when they failed to uh, worship Him and they became self-worship and then they also um, sought their own gratification over obedience, it created the first sin, and they ruined that perfect life. But God reached down in grace, and he shed blood for their sin, and covered their nakedness with animal skins, and restored them into fellowship with himself. Years later, God's chosen people Israel were in a desert rather than a garden. They were at the foot of a mountain uh, rather than at the base of a tree. But the instructions God gave down to Israel at Sinai were in the Ten Commandments, revealed that worship and obedience were still priorities for glorifying Him. Deuteronomy, the book, uh, is Moses' rehearsal of the law for, God, for the generation of the Israelites that would inherit the Promised Land. In Deuteronomy 10, Moses explained to Israel... Um, do what the Lord God requires of you, and to fear the Lord, which would be worship, and walk in His ways, that would be obedience, and to love Him, worship, and serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, that's obedience. That's Deuteronomy 10.12.
Joshua was appointed to servant to take the children of Israel into the promised land. God had prepared them for service. He reminded them of his priorities. In Joshua 1 8, this book shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Again, worship that you may observe everything according that's written therein. Obedience that you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. Similar explanations of man's priorities emerge in the New Testament. In response to the questioning scribe, Jesus acknowledged the first and greatest commandment is correct worship. When they asked him what was the greatest, he said, First, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he noted the priority of obedience. And the second is like this, Thou shalt love your neighbor. So worship and obedience. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11 and see the priorities Paul wrote in verse 11. So let's go together. Second Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. So we're going to set this. And he says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, whether according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. Paul's letter here to um, in Corinthians, also in the letter of Ephesians, provides the crown jewel in this discussion of biblical purpose for living and corresponding priorities. Throughout the epistle, Paul firmly establishes the glory of God as the purpose of living. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, he emphasizes the believer's priority of worship, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 emphasizes the believer's priorities of obedience. And I encourage you to get a piece of paper out and uh, sit down and just read through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and jot down some of the subjects that reflect worship. And then um, head over uh, to 4, 5, and 6 and survey through those and record some of the subjects that reflect obedience. And uh, I think you're, you will see that uh, we are following after this that we are to worship and obey. And that sets a priority for us. So, as we wrap this up, I think we need to realize that in a culture of competing priorities, confused purposes, and conditional commitments, it's good for us as believers to consider the two primary questions. The first is, what am I living for? I think that answer to that question, if you'll be honest with yourself, is going to reveal your purpose for living. The second is, what do I expend my time, 
my energy and my money on. And that will also give you an idea of your priorities for living. Now, I think we've seen that God's Word challenges to make certain purposes, uh, to make certain that our purpose for living is to glorify God. Similarly, our ultimate priority must be made to be worship and obedience. If we priorities are in place, then everything else will be in its proper place. So as we face the mounting pressures of competing in these confused priorities, we have to establish them. We have to establish them, our own priorities, according to what God has instructed in His Word. The book of Ecclesiastes is especially helpful in guiding us into correct priorities because it shows clearly what priorities God wants His people to have. The book of Proverbs, as we get into it, are going to help us appreciate living the rightly aligned priorities. So really take time to reflect on your life today and say, what am I living for? And that's going to reveal the purpose of your life. And then say, what do I spend my money, time, and energy on? And that's going to help reveal your priorities. And as you look at those lists, you may have to realize that your priorities need to be adjusted. And I would encourage you to consider going back to that passage in Ecclesiastes. 12, 13. Highlight it in your Bible. Write it down on a card and make it your memory verse for this week. The conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. Guys, keep praying for one another. Hopefully soon this will be over. And uh, we'll be back having services again, and that also includes Sunday schools, and we'll be meeting together. But until then, we'll continue meeting this way. May God bless your day, your week, and we'll see you next week.